Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm your host this week, Jason Evans. You know me on the DVR as Jason Evans. I'm also joined by Sam Klein, better known as Dev11. Sam, say hi. Hi, everybody. And Donald Wine, Blazing DW. Donald, greet the folks. Hello to the hello to the people. So uh, welcome, everyone, to episode number 31 of the podcast. If you are an avid follower of the show, you may notice that we've skipped a few numbers here. That's because your daddy doesn't care for the arbitrary construct of whole numbers and because he wore the number 31 while winning a national title for Duke. So this is the 31st episode of the DBR podcast, and we ain't changing the number no matter what. We are pleased to welcome the no-stat all-star himself, Shane Battier, onto the show. Shane, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, gentlemen. Always great to be amongst friends and, and Blue Devil Company. I want to say, by the way, everyone, um, the reason Shane is here, it's kind of a funny story, and I'm going to start with this story. Uh, so a, a, few, a couple months back, Shane has this big uh, fundraiser he does down in Miami called Batioki. I'm sure a lot of you have seen or heard about it in the past where Shane gets a bunch of his NBA friends to all perform karaoke for charity. It's a great, wonderful thing. Shane sent me an email asking me to promote Batioki on the DBR bulletin board. Um, and unfortunately, the email like got stuck in my spam folder for some crazy reason, like like Shane Battier could ever send me spam. And so I, I didn't get the email in time to promote Battioki. And I apologized to Shane. And he said, ah, it's OK. It's cool. And I said, hey, as long as I'm talking to you, can you do the Duke B, the DBR podcast? And we've been talking about this for a little while. And um, and, and I bring up Battioki because. Shane, one of the reasons you're here with us is you've got another somewhat charitable kind of thing that you, you want to talk about a little bit. Why don't we start off right off the bat? Tell us a little bit about, uh, about how folks can interact with you um, uh, in the online world, so to speak. Well, first of all, Jason, you're, you're not the first uh, email of mine that's gone to spam. So no, no, no offense taken. No offense taken. <laughs> it happens a lot. And uh, some, some intentionally, some unintentionally. So... Not, not the first time. Don't worry about it. Uh, but, but secondly, thank you for, for having me on. Uh, you know, I, I feel str- very passionate and strong about uh, many things in, in my life. And, and one of them is, is the foundation that my wife Heidi and I created, the, the Battier Take Charge Foundation. Uh, those who uh, know my, my background can understand the, uh, the, the play on words. Most people look at me with a blank stare, but I said, I, I guess you had to be there. Uh, but uh, the Battier Take Charge Foundation – uh, has existed for six years, and we award uh, college scholarships to at-risk youth uh, around the country, mainly in South Florida, Houston, and Detroit, three places very, uh, very near and dear to our heart. And um, we have currently 12 uh, kids in our program. We've graduated three kids. And these are really, really great kids that uh, just need a, a little boost to, to reach their dreams through uh, what we think is the most, one of the most important things is a college education. So uh, we're extremely blessed to be able to provide scholarships. And um, the fun part of that is fundraising. And my wife and I have a lot of fun trying to think of creative and different ways to, to, to engage people and to raise awareness for Take Charge. And uh, the aforementioned Batioki has been a huge success. We've raised over a million dollars over the last uh, five years doing that and uh, sent a lot of kids to school. Well, we're back today. I'm here to promote uh, a, a new and interesting uh uh, contest. I'm a huge golf fan, uh, and I'm a huge fantasy golf fan, fantasy baseball. Uh, yes, that's, that's the nerd in me. Uh, but I've partnered <laughs> with DraftKings, uh, all of our friends at DraftKings, um, to have the Battier Take Charge uh, Foundation Challenge. And I'm offering a trip for two, all expense paid, to sunny South Florida in the fall when it's, when it's nearly perfect to play around a round of golf with me. Uh, at PGA National Golf Course, West Palm Beach, uh, on Saturday, a late Saturday in September. And uh, this is your chance to, to play a team with me. I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. I'm not a great golfer. I'm sure you will, whoever wins this will, will kick my butt, but we'll have a good time. We'll tell some Duke stories and, uh, and all the proceeds that are raised from uh, this DraftKings contest go to Battier Take Charge Foundation. So if you go to DraftKings.com and search for the uh, the contest under golf. Um, my, the contest brought, starts next Thursday. It's actually a, a competition for the for the Open Championship over in uh, the old course in St Andrews next week. But you get a week to sign up, and uh, if you do it, it's going to a great cause, and you, and you get a pretty cool prize 
Uh, if you win it, you come in second, third, fourth place. We got jerseys, basketballs, bobbleheads, all that good stuff. Uh, go to DraftKings.com, read more about it, and uh, hopefully I'll get to uh, play a nice round of golf with uh, other Blue Devil fans. Uh, that man, that sounds awesome. It's a, it's obviously a great cause. I I love the name of the foundation, the Take Charge Foundation. That is perfect for you, and um and yeah, we'll uh we'll we'll provide links uh, on the DBR on the forum and on the on the DBR main page to make sure people know about getting to that contest at DraftKings, um and giving a, a Duke fan a chance to play a round of golf with you. That sounds that just sounds too awesome. <laughs> I wish I knew uh, golf better so that I'd be able to uh, pick the pick the winner of the Open and and win that contest. It'd be a lot of fun. I, it's I'm going to hand luck, Jason. It's Jason, all, just take <laughs> just take speed. You'll be you'll be right. You're right. You're probably correct. You're probably correct. Um, uh, hey, D- uh, Donald, I think you're leading things off for us, aren't you? Yes, I am. And, and uh, Shane, it's great to hear from you again, old friend. Um, as backstory for people uh, on the podcast, Shane and I actually went to the same high school. He was a senior when I was a freshman, and, of course, that translated as well at Duke. Um, so it's good to hear, hear from you once again. Um, so the first question we have is, uh, now that you're done playing basketball, how was, uh, how was the transition to not playing competitive basketball anymore? It seems like it's, it's probably been a long while that, that you played competitive basketball at the high school, college, and the professional level. So what was – the biggest change in that transition? Uh, it's it's a different time for me. It, it's a, a, absolutely a different time for me. Um, ever since I was eight, nine years old, I knew that I wanted to be a professional basketball player. and uh, The the road that I had to take to get there was pretty straightforward. It was, it was a winding road. It took me to a lot of different interesting places. But I knew my progression, and I always knew where I stood in that progression. And as I got close to the end, I knew once I signed my, my last deal with Miami, I knew that was pretty much the end. Uh, they say that the will to play stays strong, the will to prepare to play weakens. And that was absolutely true in my case. If I could play, just play game show, play games, and go home and, and be with my family, I would love it. But uh, the grind of preparation just got a little, little old for me. Uh, but when I played my last game, uh, I was terrified. And I'm, I still am terrified <laughs> because I've always known exactly what I've wanted and I've gone after it. And in basketball, there was there's always a scoreboard. I knew exactly if we won every night, lost every night, whether I did my job, whether I was a bum, uh, whether I played above my head, uh, there was immediate feedback. And it was it, it was difficult the first year not, not to have that immediate scoreboard um, and to be able to measure – uh, my progression, a lot more esoteric, a lot more out there. Uh, and the, the, but the two things I really missed were the locker room and the competition. You know, nothing can replicate a basketball locker room. And, and the chicanery that goes on and the, and the hijinks, it's, it's unbelievable. And I, I laugh every day, every day of my life for 20, 25 years in, in, in a locker room. And uh, that you, you don't replicate that in, in, the, in the real world. Um, and the competition. You know, the, the anxiety, the, the butterflies that I got from going to a coal field house or, or, or playing, uh, you know, playing the Tar Heels on, in rivalry day or, or, or guarding Kobe Bryant or guarding Kevin Durant. Uh, nothing can, I've, I've found yet can replace that. Uh, but I'll tell you what, my body feels a heck of a lot better. <laughs> that's, a huge, that's a huge difference as you get older. It, just, it takes longer to get going and, and more work to, to, to keep the uh, the engine running smoothly. But, um you know, I'm still looking for for things to do when I grow up, and uh, hopefully that will be a lot of things and a lot of different things, a lot of different experiences, and uh, I'm, I'm lucky to be in a position where I can uh, to try a lot of different things. Yeah, and it seems like to uh, seems like it's a uh, transition that is, is is not unique to you know not just basketball players, but you know anyone who dedicates their their life to or career to a craft uh, in any sport going forward, how to transition out of that. But uh, we want to switch and dive a little bit into the mind of a champion. You are a champion. You won at every single level, high school, uh, college, and and the pros. Is there some quality that you think that championship teams all possess? Is there something that you've seen uh, throughout all your years of playing basketball that you could kind of put a finger on, on, on what success is? Although well, I've, I've been very, very fortunate to be on a lot of a lot of teams that have been able to cut down the nets, and call themselves champions. Uh, I would think that the common thread 
between all the teams I've been on, it's been an absolute belief in, in the importance of the team. And a lot of people say they're, they're about the team. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm about the team. But until you are on a, a true championship run, you're tested. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, you, you find out who's about a team and who's not about the team real quick. There's no secrets on a championship run because you are going to face adversity. You know, whether for us it was a Duke when we're Carlos Boozer breaks his, his foot against Maryland on my senior night uh, right before we go into the, the NCAA tournament, or whether it's we're down 3-2 uh, to two to Boston in game six of the, of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, you go through adversity if you're a champion. Uh, but if, if, you're, if you have a, a purity of, of heart from 1-15 to 15 on, the, on the roster, from the coaching staff, from the ball boys, where it, it is about the team, and it's about winning. Uh, it's amazing what you overcome, and it's amazing how that's revealed uh, through adversity. Yeah, that makes that, that makes a lot of sense um, uh, with all of that. And that's, that's good insight for for people who are, are on the come up and trying to get to that level that you've experienced for so many years. But uh, now, inside the locker room, you're at Duke University or any anywhere on in any of your teams. Who was your favorite teammate out of all the teammates that you had? And you cannot say Mike Dunleavy. <laughs> well, obviously Dun Dunleavy is my guy. That's my guy. That's my a brother from a, from another mother. Uh, you know, he, he, we were roommates, and of all the the players that I played with, he's the most like me in terms of preparation and, and belief and, and work. Uh, outside of, of Mike D, um, gosh, I've, I've had I've had so many great teammates in, in my career. Uh, the, and they're all so different. From I'm, I'm going to say a bunch. I got like Yao Ming, uh, who just was a tireless worker and led by example. LeBron James, just his greatness. Uh, every single day, he showed you something new, and you, you, you realize why this guy could go down as the greatest of all time. Um, a guy like you know, my my rookie uh, mate, Paul Gasol, couldn't speak a word of English uh, when he got to the country. Uh, became one of the most dominant players in, in the NBA. Um, uh, got a Chuck Hayes I played with in, in Houston, who's uh, just an absolute warrior. And, uh, you know, i never seen anyone six, six, four and a half guard Shaq like he did. Uh, but I, I was so blessed to, to, to play with so many great players. Um, you know, Duke, it was, it, it was an embarrassment of unbelievable teammates from Wojo and Trajan, guys who taught me what it meant to be a Duke Blue Devil. And the standards by which the, the program is ultimately measured is, is upheld by the by the senior leadership and, and guys like Bojo and Rashawn McLeod and Trajan Langdon uh, you know, taught me what it meant to be a Blue Devil. And when I was a senior, I was lucky enough to have little little young knuckleheads named Carlos Guzer and, and Casey Sanders, Mike Dunleavy, Jason Williams, uh, Nick Horvath. That I I got a chance to. To, to teach what it meant to be a Duke basketball player. And uh, I, I was lucky. I, I played with very few jer jerks in my time. Very, very few jerks. Uh, a lot more great teammates. One more question, and we will. Uh, I'll send you over to uh, Sam, who's got some questions for you. What's next in your career? I know Duke fans love to uh, throw your name into the ring for every political race there is out there, including president. Uh, one day we could probably take over the world as president and vice president. But uh, what's next to you? What are, what are you looking to do uh, going forward? <laughs> that, that's the ten thousand dollar question. Uh, for, for my immediate goal is to get it, is to become a single digit golf handicapper. I'm eleven point seven right now. <laughs> close. Uh, beyond that, you know, I, I want to do a lot of things. I, I, you know, after after being released from basketball, I I realize there's so much up in the in the, in the world and. Uh, I've been having a lot of conversations with tech companies, sports tech companies, and that, that, that absolutely fascinates me. Obviously, I was I was really big into the analytics when I played, and I believe that's the future of not only basketball but sports in general. Um, and I, I just love to be on on the cutting edge of of, of sports and, and technology. And so, uh, I can see myself uh, part of a lot of companies in an advisor role or uh, an investor role, and that that, that excites excites me for the time being, but uh, really, I just want to be dad. I just want to be dad for a few years, be a husband, and uh, and, and enjoy 
enjoy life. And I'm, I'm sure something will, will come along and uh, uh, get my my get my hair standing up in the back of my neck like like basketball did when I played. And uh, I will follow that till uh, till completion. Can't complain about that, man. Can't complain about that. But uh, uh, thank you very much. And Sam's got some questions for you. Sam, take it away. Thanks, Donald. Um, Shane, thanks for joining us. I uh, I was in middle school, I think, when you graduated from Duke. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. I get that a lot, Sam. Don't worry. That, it's a, it's, a, it's okay. No, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Worry. Um, so so you've always been an adult to me, even if you don't think that you're a grown up yet. Um, <laughs> I have a few. Uh, you we we started touching on on NBA and the and the changes in the league and things like that. I wanted to ask you a few questions about the league before we. Uh, get to some Duke questions with Jason. So the first thing I wanted to ask, there were obviously a lot of changes that went on in the league from the time when you came in, when you were drafted in 2001, until you retired last year. Could you cite, like, one one player today who you think that NBA fans think is very valuable and, and, and teams think are very valuable in 2015 who wouldn't have had that reputation in 2001 just because of the way the game has changed? Oh, man. Um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I think you look at a guy like Draymond Green, uh, who was an absolute uh, skeleton key for for Golden State. And he, he had pretty modest numbers. Well, he averaged like 12 points and, and eight or nine rebounds. And uh, if, you, if you look at that, look at that on paper, especially when I was it reminds me when I was a rookie. Uh, you look at that on paper, like ah, he's, he's an okay player. And it's amazing to see how the how the narratives have changed over over time, and, and and obviously with analytics you're able to measure the impact of different players on on the floor. Uh, but I just remember coming into the league, it was all points, rebounds, and assists, and field goal percentage. <laughs> and that was it. So the guys who are who are ultra versatile, defend multiple positions, uh, who just know how to win. Uh, you know, are are unbelievably valuable now, and and. Deservedly so are, are getting their getting their their props, and uh, I think I was lucky to come along the latter half of that, where you know, my, I think my career was much more appreciated and, and celebrated uh, than if it would have been ten years earlier. Sure. You, you, so you don't think that Draymond Green got would get an eighty million dollar contract ten years ago? No. No. <laughs> or whatever the no. equivalent was back then. You you might have got you might have got a ham sandwich and a pat on the butt. Say good job, son. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you actually. You you led me into the next question, well, which was that you referenced uh, the way that you played as a rookie, and we were looking at your stats before you jumped on here. Um, you know that your you must know this. Your rookie season uh, was was the best scoring season just by the by the points per game of your whole career. Um, I don't think there's any any guy that plays in the NBA for over ten years and has his best uh, and has his best scoring average as a rookie. What what changed after your rookie year that you decided that you weren't gonna you weren't gonna score as much, or was that a was that a team thing? And then your your game kind of evolved from there. How did that transition happen? Well, it, it was it was almost by uh, by necessity. Um, when I when I got drafted by the Memphis Grizzlies, we were the worst team in pro basketball, literally. When I got drafted, it was it was the team with the lowest winning percentage out of the four major North American sports. Uh, so literally the worst team in in, in the history of sports. Um, and that was great from one standpoint, but I got to shoot the ball every time I touched it. And that's so why I averaged about 15 points a game, and, and I learned so much just about offense uh, as, as a rookie uh, playing on a bad team. Well, the second year, uh, we were so bad that our coach, Sidney Lowe, got fired uh, about eight games into the season. And they brought in Hubie Brown, uh, the great Hubie Brown, who's still one, of my, still one of my favorite guys of all time, one of my favorite coaches of all time. And he, his system was totally different. And he didn't have the same opinion of me that, that I probably did of, of myself at the time when I thought I could be a focal, a focal point guy and, and a mainstay uh, in the offense. Uh, he basically put me in the corner and didn't really allow me to from pick and rolls. And I really just became a spot shooter and offensive rebounder and, and, and defender. And so, um, you know, I don't know if it was, it was a conscious thought or if I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I can't remember what the mindset is, but I said to myself, I need to play, and I need to figure out what I need to do to stay on the floor. And so for me, that was making shots. That was being a, a lockdown defender, being an energy guy, take, you know, never taking a playoff, and being the smartest guy, low turnover guy. And 
that it really was a survival mechanism to stay on the floor. And uh, that's sort of who I became for the rest of my career. And, um, you know, I, I think it it, uh, it led me well. But it wasn't by choice saying, you know, I'm going to be a guy to shoot the ball a lot. I'm going to try to dominate the ball. I'm going to try, try to dominate the game without the ball. It was, it was, it was out of necessity and survival. <laughs> I'm sure that, yeah, I'm sure that nobody who was, who was advising you was telling you to, hey, you know what, score five fewer points per game. I promise it's going to work out for you. You know, exactly. you're, you'll, yeah. you'll become more prominent that way. So you mentioned kind of that that transition. Um, do you want to take some credit for what they're now calling the three and D player? It seems like every team in the NBA either has a player who has your skill set or is looking for one like that. Um, do you think that you were one of the one of the pioneers of that revolution? You know, I, I, I think as as time went on, people understood the value of the three point shot, especially the corner three point shot. Um, really, I think it was it was serendipity for my career. I, I don't think that uh, I'm the arch. I've never been an archetype for anything uh, in, in life other than a big nerd. Um, and That's okay. So I, I, That's okay. I, yeah, exactly. A lot of people admire exactly. that. <laughs> but but I, I think it was just, I came along at the right time. I was at the right place at the right time, and uh, the the strengths of my of my basketball game came in vogue in a time when when uh, the sort of the, the three and D guy, a guy who was who was valued um, outside of sort of the box score, um, was appreciated and, and valued a little bit more. So again, it was it was all all timing. Gotcha. There were uh, two years in your career where you made a a second team All Defensive Team. Um, you never made a first team selection. Did that ever bother you? Um, as a competitor, yeah, and that was my goal every single year. I, I missed I missed the second team by one vote uh, one year, and I think I missed first team by a few votes the other year. Um, and as a competitor, I always thought I was one of the toughest defenders in the league, and, and gave people fits. And uh, you know, the, the all defensive team in the NBA is sort of like the Gold Glove in baseball. Uh, you, you know, you don't know if, if the guy, if people voting for the uh, the teams, obviously watched everyone play defense to the level that they, they probably should. Uh, so you take it with a grain of salt, but it, it motivated me, and uh, I, I was super proud to uh, to be a, be a second teamer, all defensive uh, team selection. After everyone pretty much consensually said that that I, I was I was too slow, too unathletic. Uh, not quick enough to to be a, a, a good defender in the NBA, and that that was my knock on me coming out of the draft. So to look back and say, you know what, I was one of the best defenders for two years in in, in a row, uh, back in my prime. That's, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm not. I don't think that that you have anything to be ashamed of. It's just that you know, for the for all the defensive reputation, I think especially that you had in college. Uh, I think it surprises some of us that you never got that selection, but you know, <laughs> such is life. Um, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk it up to anti-Duke sentiment. That that's got to be it. Although now we have a Duke guy running the league, so so maybe maybe things are going to get better. You're right. Um, they are. <laughs> uh, and and one more question for you. One of the other. So we we talked about three uh, and D a little bit. One of the other things I think that has come into vogue in you know NBA strategy. People like to talk about positionless basketball, and it's a thing that. Uh, that came up a lot on those Heat teams that you played with, where everybody everybody should be able to do everything. Everyone needs to be able to pass and rebound and score and and do all the things together. Uh, and we we also I think heard about it a lot on some of Coach K's Olympic teams, you know, being led by players like like LeBron or like Kevin Durant, who are these kind of jackknife, uh, you know, every everything kind of kind of players. Um, how do you how do you feel about that? that sort of change in, in, in adding the what they call the positionless basketball uh, strategy? Did you, did, do you think it, it values a player like you more? Did you enjoy playing it? What, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I, I, I think I played for the original positionless basketball teacher and, and Coach K. Uh, <laughs> his message to, to me and to our team every day is that don't, don't get caught up in labels. Be a basketball player. Be a basketball player. Make plays. Is the plays you make, make, make the play. And don't get caught up in being a point guard or a shooting guard. And uh, you know that was my that was my mindset. You know, after I left Duke, just, just be a player, make something happen. And so, you know, I, I think it's the most beautiful way uh, to to play basketball and to watch basketball. When you when you have five guys working in concert, passing the ball, sharing the ball, 
making, you know, Golden State was, was phenomenal to watch this year. So fun to watch just because they didn't care who got the credit. They moved the basketball. They had tremendous spacing. Uh, they had no one, no, no one running in the middle of play, mucking things up. Uh, and that's that's the way basketball, if you could draw it up, should be played. And that's the most exciting, uh, best way to play. And I'm, I'm biased, but um, it, it, you know, it, it bodes well because the NBA is a copycat league. When someone has success, everyone rushes to replicate that success. And you saw, you saw, you know, we played Spurs and they, they kicked our butt. Uh, in the NBA Finals in, in 14. And so everyone said, we got to move the ball. We, we have to get off the ball. We have to have uh, a, a very quick, pose- you know, uh, time for possession. Uh, we, need, we need to move the ball. And so you see Golden State now playing positionless. People are questioning, do I even need a center anymore? And that's kind of, that's kind of awesome. It's kind of awesome that there's that innovation and that thought uh, in, in the NBA game. Yeah. I mean, personally, I think it's more fun to watch the way that you described it, where it's, where it's moving a lot more fluidly and, and, and lots of guys can play lots of different roles all at once. I think it's really neat. Um, so I'm, that's all the NBA stuff I, I had for you. I'm going to turn it over to Jason, who's got some Duke questions for you uh, about your career there and kind of your involvement with the program. So, uh, so thanks, for, uh, thanks for taking my questions. Hey, you're welcome. Great questions. Okay, Shane. Shane, it's my turn now. And um, my, my first question related to Duke actually also relates to the NBA. Um, you know, it feels like it's been a while since Duke produced a really standout defensive NBA player, defensive player, um, the, the way, the way you were and the way some of the guys, uh, used to be, it, it, it feels like Duke has become more of an offensive type of team versus a, a team that relies on its defense. I mean, I know we, we won the title this past year with a better defensive team than we've been recently, but, uh, what, what do you, why do you think, um, players are maybe having a little more trouble getting the Duke defensive system. Is it too complex in this sort of and done kind of era? No, you know what? NBA different defense is way different than than than, than Duke defense and, and college defense in general. Um, it, you, in the NBA, it's much more schematic, and it's much more uh, clearly defined in, in a team setting. So if you have an uber-athletic chop blocker, so to speak, that changes your, your entire defense. In college, most of the defenses are, are the same. You know, I know Coach K has changed up a little bit, added a little, little bit of zone defense, which I never thought I'd see, uh, but he did and adapted to his, to his team. Uh, but for the most part, defenses that you see one year are going to be the same for that coach in, in five years. But in, in the NBA, they're a little more dynamic. And so I, I, don't, I don't know if it's an it's a, uh, indication that, that Duke's doing something differently. I'll tell you what, I think Coach K is, you know, is going out and getting some absolute studs on offense. Um, <laughs> I think the guys coming out of now Duke uh, offensively were, were better on, on a whole offensively than during my time. Um, uh, just they're, they're so skilled and pl- young players in general. When they're coming out of coming out of high school, they're playing so many more games that they're they're really at a, at a higher level um, offensively. And so I, I think that has that has more to do with than the the, the basketball divide between college and, and, and NBA on the defensive end. How much do you stay connected to the Duke program? Do you do you talk to Coach K fairly often? I mean, is it tough to do when you're in the NBA and now that you're now that you're not traveling around 80, uh, 80 plus days of the year? Is it a little bit easier? Um, yeah, what you, what you should realize about Coach K and every, every guy who plays for him understands that, look, he, he, what makes him great is his myopic focus on Duke basketball. And so there's a time to talk to Coach and a time not to talk to Coach. And I think everyone respects that. I think once, once the season starts and he's in, he's in Duke mode, everyone leaves him be because uh, he's so focused on, on his own thought and his own team. Uh, and we all went through that. We understand it. But uh, it's, it's really cool to stay in touch and follow the guys. And when, I, when I was playing, I played, I played so many games that it was tough to sit down and actually watch, uh, watch basketball. And when you had an off night, that's the last thing you wanted to do was watch basketball. Uh, but uh, this past year, especially working for ESPN and being on, on television, I was around it a lot more, and it was, uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I was able to take my son Zeke, who's seven, to, uh, to his first game last year in Cameron, and that was a huge, huge thrill for me. 
Uh, obviously, he's, he's a Duke fan, and uh, to, to be able to, to sit right behind the bench and, and be in Cameron and feel the passion, and, and he can sort of put together images for my stories, it was uh, a really, really special weekend for me. Okay, so you're, you're talking about stories. Um, it, it's my favorite part of any time I interview a Duke player. I have to ask them, <laughs> give me a good Coach K story. Did you hear Nolan Smith's story a few weeks ago? We had Nolan Smith on, and he talked about Coach K holding up a Spartan sword um, and waving it around as a pregame motivation. You ha- that, that, that bar has been set high by Nolan. Can you top that story? Well, you know, obviously you have to be in the locker room and understand Coach K's motivational tactics. He he is a master. I mean, he gets he gets the the, the blood coursing through through the veins. Very simple uh, simple actions. My my favorite. Oh, we've heard. My my favorite story, uh, and I'll never forget it. Was you know we we, we were playing we were playing our best basketball. And uh, he felt we needed, you know, some extra fire for this game. So instead of dialing up to the vigor and the, the brimstone, he had the managers turn off all the lights. This is like right before the game, big game, ACC game at home. I forget who it was against. And all the lights were, it was pitch black in our locker room, no windows. And all of a sudden, coach opens the door really slowly. And he's carrying a, a candle, you know, like an old, uh, like an old uh, clock, clock tower keeper. And he's, very slowly walking in with a little little candle just illuminating his face. And he goes, I know we haven't played very well lately, boys, but I'm not just a basketball coach. All I am, I'm just a little Jew. I'm a little, not Jewish, I'm a little Polish man looking for a team with a heart. And at that point, we are like, oh, and we, we go crazy. We bust through the locker room doors. And I don't know what it was about that speech, but we, we, you know, I think we opened the game 20, 20 to four. The game is over. We win the game in, in typical Cameron fashion with with uh, with with a forty point win. But it was all from that little little candle pitch dark speech from Coach K, uh, saying I'm I'm just a, a Polish coach looking for a team with a little heart. And uh, that was I'll never forget that as long as I live. Oh, that, that one's pretty awesome. Hey, back to the NBA really quick. As, as long as we're telling stories, you said lots of funny, crazy stuff happens in an NBA locker room. Can, can you, if you need to change the names to protect the innocent or not give names, that's fine. Can you share one sort of crazy NBA locker room story? Um, I wouldn't say crazy, uh, funny. Uh, I would say funny more than, than crazy. Um, I, I had two teammates, and we're in Washington, D.C. on the bus. And uh, it was the first time either of them had been to Washington D.C. and I was sitting right behind them, and uh, turns over and sees the Washington Monument. Goes, hey man, what's that? Another dude goes, man, I don't know. I think it's the Pentagon or something. And I'm just sitting there going, boys, 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 boys. It's time for you to open up a, uh, a history book here. Like <laughs> 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 shenanigans like that, where it happened every day, where people just said something totally outlandish, uh, you know, unintentionally, and it was it was great. It was great. Uh, I, I can see why that would have been a, a fun and interesting life for someone as as learned as yourself. Um, Shane, thanks so much for joining us. The last thing I want to ask before you go. Uh, assess the 2015-2016 Duke Blue Devils. Um, you're obviously, a, you know, an analyst for ESPN, so you look a little bit at the world of college basketball. What do you think? We, do we have any chance to repeat? What do you think the team's strengths will be? What will their weaknesses be? What do they need to work on? What do they need to do to cut down the nets for a second time? Well, it, it will be another uh, uh, quick learning curve for uh, a very young team again. Um, I think. Uh, I think Grayson Allen builds on his, his momentum of, of the championship game, and he, I think he's going to come into the season as the best player, in the focal point. And for, and for them to be uh, a, a contender for the national championship, he's going to have to play like it's, uh, uh, like it's, like it's his team. And that's a lot to ask for, for a sophomore, but he's, he's shown the heart and the grit that he, that he can get it done. Uh, obviously, with, with all the young players, especially you know an ultra-young point guard, uh, they're going to have to be brought along quickly, and probably much quicker than, than Coach K would like to take. But as he showed last year, he, if anyone can do it, he can do it. Uh, it's a team that will it's going to need some stability in the front court with uh, uh, you know with Plumlee and, and Jefferson leading the way. 
uh, they're going to need to to amp their game and and provide some some scoring punch uh, on on a consistent basis. They don't need to go out and average 20 points a game, but they need to they need to be able to throw the ball down there and and get some buckets to, to alleviate some of the pressure off the uh, off the young guards. And um, again, if, if they stay healthy, uh, they have the talent. They they absolutely have the talent to uh, to to be a contender. Uh, it will depend on how quickly they can gel as a team and, and believe in, in the, the way of, of Coach K. And if they, if they can do that, then uh, they'll be in the conversation come March. Shane, I have to ask, a couple of years ago, we had a contest on the DBR bulletin board for people to vote on their favorite Duke basketball player of all time. And you won the contest and you joined the DBR boards and you posted one post to say thank you and, and, and how honored you were to win it. What's it going to take for Shane Battier to have a second post on the Duke Basketball Report bulletin board. <laughs> and, and hey, uh, I've got a suggestion. When we post the link to this podcast, that, that'd be a good place for you to start posting again, get lots of oh, attention for the podcast. Man. Oh, man. <laughs> People are, are going to have to uh, uh, hopefully have uh, amnesia and remember me as, as this ultra uber-athletic you know, manly man who just was was a dominant dominant physical uh, force uh, during my my four years at Duke, and so that that's really my only chance. That people forget how how slow and unathletic I was, and remi- remember a way better version of, of me than than that. That was the reality when I was there uh, from ninety seven to one. <laughs> Shane, hey, again. Thanks so much for joining us, for giving us all this time today. Um, best of luck to you in the broadcast career going forward. Best of luck to you if you decide to do that tech entrepreneurship or politics or whatever it is that uh, that seems to interest you. Um, you've been unbelievably successful. You've always combined uh, intellect with uh, great drive and determination. I'm sure, you know, whatever it is you pick to do, it's going to be incredible. We're we're thrilled and honored that you could join us here on the podcast uh, for the time today. And and again, a reminder, folks, go to DraftKings.com if you want a chance to. You know, we just spent you know about 40 minutes or so chatting with Shane. You could spend an entire afternoon playing golf with him. Go over to DraftKings.com, search golf, and you can find the uh, the the contest that benefits Shane's foundation. Again, Shane. Thanks a million bunch. Thanks so much. We, we really appreciate it. Well, you guys do a great job of, 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 of representing Duke basketball, and it, it's a family. It's a family. You don't need to play at Duke to be part of the family, and you, you've proven that in all, all the listeners, the podcast, and uh, the bulletin boards. You, we were all, we were all family, and uh, we were all, we're all lucky to be part of a, of a, of a tremendous family. So, so thank you for your love and support, and you guys uh, keep up a great job. Oh, thanks much, man. We really appreciate that. So at that point, we thought the interview with Shane was over, but you know how the best moments sometimes are complete accidents that just crop up out of nowhere? Moments after we were done talking to Shane, Sam chimed back in because, Sam, you just had to know more about that game where Coach K motivated the team with a candle and and we blew him out and everything. And so, so Sam, this is how that went uh, with Sam talking to Shane uh, about uh, that blowout. I've just looked through like the seasons that you were at Duke and was looking through the ACC like, you know, conference schedule. I can't figure out a time when you guys would have been playing bad enough that you would have specifically needed a like a big motivator, uh, even though I liked the story. Um, I, I'm, I'm no, trying to figure that's, out. That's 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 the magic of Duke basketball. Though. That's, that's <laughs> it was it was never about it was never about the scoreboard. It was never about the scoreboard. It was I, always about it was always about standards. Always yeah. about standards. There's Sorry, I don't know if Coach. K, I don't know if Coach K had you know was, was looking at the spread or whatever. You know we. But you know it was always if he felt we should have won by twenty and we won by ten, we under we underplayed. You know it wasn't about the, the best, score. The 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 closest that I can come to finding it, I think is a stretch in 01 where we or where you guys won a game by 2 points and you lost a game by 2 points and then we came out and beat Florida State by 40 points at home except the game that we won by 2 points was the miracle minute game um, so like I feel like that was exciting in in and of its own self and and I don't know um, yeah but we played terrible in that game it was that's that was true. awful 
That's true, but the, yeah. but the, but the emotions after it were great. I, I don't know how it was in the locker room, but um, oh, it was great. As a, it was great. As a, as a as an eleven year old in suburban Maryland rooting for Duke, I loved that. <laughs> <laughs> so did we. So did we. But it was. It was. It was. We were. We were in a lull. And, okay. And we, All right. You know, there were there were lulls every year. There were lulls every year. You know, our lulls may may not have been other other teams' lulls, but we we had lulls and we knew it. We knew it. Okay. All right. I believe. Shane, it. I still I still lament the '99 team not winning the title. Um, uh, you know, it was a great UConn team that beat us, but I really feel like if that, I feel like there've been a couple opportunities in Duke history in 1986, which is my freshman year at Duke and 99, where if we get the last second shot and we win the title, we go down as one of the greatest teams in history. Not that your oh, 2001, yeah, not that the 2001 team wasn't great. Not that other national championship teams weren't amazing, but Oh, like those two, 86 and 99, I feel like 99, especially my God, you guys steamrolled everyone. Yeah, it was it was it was a phenomenal year. We you know but again we we didn't play well. You know, no one really no one really talks about. It. We didn't play well the last I don't know the last month of the season. We didn't we didn't. I mean, even in the tournament, we didn't play great. We we knew it, and uh, you know we didn't play that great teams in the tournament. But the Michigan State game, we we're like, uh oh, we we did not play well in that game. So. Uh, as dominant as we were, we even, we did we knew we didn't play the greatest uh, when it mattered the most. You kind of like Virginia this past year. They were they were still good all the way to the end of the year, and then they just got and then they got to the tournament, and it was like it all fell apart. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm so, just glad they waited until I got there uh, to win the win the one in 2001. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it means a little more. I feel bad for Elton and Will and the Trajan especially, but uh, you know that's the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> you you still got your ring. That's what matters, right, baby? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I was, just I was just don't rub it in their faces. It's fine. Okay, Shane. Again, right, thanks a lot, man. I got to run here, but uh, thanks so much, guys. And I'll uh, be in touch. Yep. Thanks, sure Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. So with that, our interview with Shane Battier now is officially over, guys. Uh, your reaction, and uh, Donald, let me start with you. You, um, you know, what was the thing you took away from it? What was your favorite moment? Um, uh, what, what a fabulous interview, by the way. Just amazing. Shane is a, a great interview. Shane is always a great interview. And, and you know, this ranks up there with uh, some of the interviews that he did back when he was with the Grizzlies, where he went an entire season without uh, attempting to use cliche uh, in postgame press conferences. But uh, I, I thought it was great. I, you know, I really enjoyed hearing about what he is looking to do now that his career is over. I think that uh, we, we touched a little bit on that transition uh, phase for athletes, and it's, it's a very difficult one for some people. It seems like he's got a plan in place, and even if that plan is to sit there and figure out what it is he really wants to do or, or do to put his hand in a lot of things, uh, I think he could do anything he wants. And, and for him to be figuring out right now, I think is, is, is wonderful. Yeah, it, the notion that he's going to be a technology investor was, to me, was really cool and really interesting. Sam, what about you? What, what was your favorite takeaway from it? Well, to piggyback on what Donald said, I thought that one of the interesting things, you know, we, we hear so much about about what a smart guy Shane Battier is, and he obviously is, you know, he's he's really easy to talk to. Um, but even for a guy who who's like that, who's kind of an intellectual, he's still an athlete at heart, you know, and you could tell that uh, he has that sort of uncertainty about what's next and, and what he's going to do because he's been, you know, effectively a professional basketball player like his whole life, uh, you know, for as long as he can remember. So I did, I, I echo Donald that that part was interesting. I liked, uh, honestly, his comments about next year's team. I thought that he had a lot of good insight, you know, pointing out how important Grayson Allen's going to be. Um, I, I thought that stuff was really interesting. And then I also just like hearing his thoughts on the NBA, you know, one of the, I think, easiest players to point out when, when we asked that question about, you know, who would have been totally thrown by the wayside 15 years ago, but now is a, is a primetime player. I think one of the prime examples of that would be Draymond Green. So I, I was happy that he pointed that out. I'm glad that, you know, that, that we see that. And it's also, it's also the way that he perceives it. He seems like he's got such a great grasp of, of how basketball works, how it, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't the most efficient and wasn't the best understood and how, how the sort of analytics revolution, you know, Kind of put it that way 
has really changed the game a lot and to point out a player who every analyst now loves to talk about and who he's right. I don't think Draymond Green is a guy who would have been talked about a long time ago. He would have just been like a tough guy from Michigan State and, and nothing more in the league. Um, so Shane Battier has a lot of interesting things to say. I I thought there were a number of things that he that he said during this conversation that I enjoyed. Well, and you know, one of the things you you talked a little bit about him talking about Grayson having to be the the best player in the focal point of the team. Um, I loved his line where he said, Grayson has to play like this is his team. Um, and I, I have to think that Shane, we, we know that Shane does talk to Coach K and talk to other guys in the coaching staff. You know, some of them are, are guys he's known for for many, many years, and he's obviously known Coach K for, for pretty much his entire adult life. Um, if Shane is saying that, you know that the coaching staff and the guys connected to Duke basketball are saying the same thing, that Grayson Allen has to play like this is his team. And I think that's really interesting. There's this, uh, you know, there's this uh, thing where we, we feel like the freshman, the freshman, the freshman, the new, you know, the shiny new thing that's up on the corner. That's the thing that's really great. Well, Grayson Allen um, is not a freshman, but he's a little bit of the, the shiny new thing because we didn't see very much of him last year. And what we did see was so tantalizing. The other big takeaway I took uh, takeaway I took. That's sort of a weird kind of thing. The other big takeaway I had from from the conversation, I loved when Shane talked about his favorite teammates, both at Duke and in the NBA. Um, and the names, I, I started quickly jotting down some of the names I heard, but a few of them stuck out to me. Chuck Hayes, Rashawn McLeod, Wojo, Pau Gasol. The thing those guys to me really had in common is they are hard workers. Those are guys who bring their lunch pail to the office every single day and they battle and they get the most out of their God-given ability. Uh, and I love that Shane Battier, you know, recognized that he doesn't go for sort of the easy, hey, these all-stars, LeBron James or these other guys are my favorite teammates. He mentioned some guys like that. He mentioned LeBron James, of course, but he also mentioned some players that you wouldn't expect because I think you know, basketball players, really great basketball players like Shane Battier, recognize the value of the guys who are just hard, hard, hard workers. Um, and in and particular, was, he 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 also noted one of the one of the guys I don't think you brought up was Yao Ming, who I thought yes, was really interesting yeah. because that that's a guy who, you know, he came over. He was the number I think was he the number one pick the same year that Battier came out, or if he if he wasn't, it was right around then. Um, no, he was the number one pick with um, Jay Wolf. Oh, yeah. okay, the next year. Okay. He knocked, I was so, going to say, he knocked Jay Will down to number two. That's right. right. So that's a guy who you could totally see, you know, he's coming from another country. He's, he's such a big hyped prospect. He's an enormous person, even relative to, to his basketball peers. You could imagine him not being a good teammate, you know, because he's, he's got so many distractions going on with, with all the media that was following him and everything. And to hear Shane say that, you know, and, you know yeah, was one of – was an, was an early teammate of his, like, or no, I guess it was a uh, sort of mid career because he didn't come to Houston until a little later. But but even still, saying that that a guy like Yao Ming who had all these other things going on was such a good teammate, I thought that was really interesting, and I I would have liked to hear more stories about about Yao Ming the the teammate, you know, because he was such a he was such a public figure in so many ways. But you know, it's not like none of any of us actually knew him uh, while he was and the story, in the states. And the story he told about uh, uh, Paul Gasol who was drafted the same year. I think they were maybe two or three picks apart and uh, uh, ended up being ending, ending up on the Memphis Grizzlies. And him talking about how Powell showed up and did not speak a word of English, but basically in, in his way, the, the, the language of basketball was what bonded them. And I think that was pretty cool to see, especially when you're thinking about draft picks um, coming in the same team, theoretically fighting, both fighting for, for minutes on the floor um, even if they don't play the same position, so to speak. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool that they had a, a unique bond, um, even though, you know, they came from two different worlds, essentially, uh, to end up in Memphis, um, which is kind of a unknown destination for or a destination that, you know, 10 years ago, probably people wouldn't say, oh, I could see myself in Memphis playing for the Grizzlies. Um, for them to come in and, and kind of turn the Memphis Grizzlies around to what you see today, I think all of that, you know, they played a part in how the, how the Grizzlies played right now and they're one of the more feared teams in the western conference so uh i think that is is what's very special to hear Pau Gasol's name come out uh as one of his favorite teammates and i guess i forgot that Pau Gasol didn't 
speak English when he came over here? Because when you hear him interviewed now, it's like he's been speaking English his whole life and then it sounds like it's his first language. Um, right. So that that's just another piece of evidence as to what a hard worker he was that, that he, you know, when he gives interviews in America, he just sounds like an American. And that's, that's really cool. And, and that backs up the, the point that Shane made about what a, what a tough hard worker he is. Uh, I hope everybody out, out there uh, now recognizes the power of the DBR podcast. We got Shane Batty on here, man. Like, that's <laughs> ridiculous. I don't know how we stop this. Like, who do we get next? I think we got to put in a call to coach to see if he can come on now. We, we neglected before we hung up with Shane to be like, hey, you know, just drop a line to Coach K and tell him, tell him what good time you had here so that maybe we'll get him next. Although I don't know what he's going to talk about. He, he has his own radio show where he talks all the time. So what do we have well, to and, say? And, and Coach K can't possibly have a good story for us. We've already gotten two of the all-time great Coach K stories, <laughs> the Samurai Sword and the I'm Just a Little Polish Boy with a Candle story. <laughs> We'll have to pick like our favorite players and ask Coach K to tell us stories about those guys. You know, like like from my time at Duke, I can ask him for a Nolan Smith story, and uh, and Donald could ask him for like a, a Shane Battier story, and and Jason could ask him for like a Johnny. Da- who, who were you there? Johnny Dawkins or Danny Ferry or somebody? Yeah, Danny um, Ferry, Quinn Snyder, Allah yeah. Abdulnabi. Yeah, I don't want to hear any. I don't want to hear any Allah stories. I, was I say, know I too many Allah stories. Um, that that could be what we what we dig into Coach K for. We have to we uh, have to I, think I, about it. I, I want to point out that that we are living in a fantasy world if we think Coach K is coming on the podcast anytime soon. I've Listen, talked to the happen. Duke. I've talked to the Duke SID. I've talked to the Sports Information Department. Um, they they were not eager to get a member of the coaching staff on the podcast, but maybe now that we've had Nolan and now that we've had Shane, and I'm sure we'll have other players and you know former and we're, players and, whatever. And we're Working on some guests for football season, I think. Yeah, hopefully. yeah. So, yeah we, we, I mean, we had think Justin about it. Robinson. We had Justin Robinson. We are. We, we have had some high-profile yeah. guests. Well, always remember this, Jason. If you ask two hundred times and they say yes once, we win. True, Donald. I'm sending another email to the Duke SID right now. This get, is my <laughs> next thing. You don't get sent to the podcast minor leagues because you continually strike out. Amen. Well, guys, uh, that's going to wrap it up then for this edition of the DBR podcast. Um, Everyone listening to us out there, I urge you, please go to DraftKings.com and enter Shane's golf picking contest for the British Open um, because you could get a chance to uh, win a all expenses paid trip to South Florida and play a round of golf with Shane Battier, which would not suck. Um, So go out there. It'll it'll support his... uh, his very worthy foundation, the Take Charge Foundation. And uh, again, Shane, I know you're not listening anymore because you left the call, but boy, thanks so much. It was great to have you on. Uh, Donald Wine, Sam Klein, thanks for joining me again. Uh, We're going to wrap it up right now on this edition of the DBR Podcast. We'll be back sometime very soon talking more Duke Hoops for all of you. Until then, Duke Marching Band, take us home.